I want to welcome you all to the Pit Stop. It's your fortnightly midweek rest area to refuel your drive. I'm Karen Cummins. I'm an audiobook narrator and the chief cartographer of narratorsroadmap.com and your host for Pit Stop. And with me in the co-pilot seat is the fabulous Ann Flosnick. She's an award-winning narrator who hosts the Narrator Uplift show here on Clubhouse. How are you doing today, Ann? Great. Thank you, Karen. Happy so to be glad here. you're here. Me too. And every other Wednesday, audiobook narrators who do more than narrate will pull into the pit stop, and they are sure to inspire you to follow your interest and use all of your talents and gifts. So I want to let you know this conversation is being recorded, so you'll be able to re-listen or catch parts you missed. And feel free to comment in the chat and raise your hand in the app if you want to be part of the conversation, because we'd love to hear from you. So thanks so much for joining us this afternoon. I am super excited to talk today with audiobook narrator, author, and owner of Narrator.life, Andy Arndt. Since her start in 2010, Andy has narrated over 600 audiobooks, including Audi, Earphones, and Sovas award-winning titles. She founded Lyric Audiobooks in 2014, and she passed the torch to new owner Katie Robinson late last year. In 2020, she and a consortium of coaches launched Narrator.life, and that's the pinned link in the uh, chat there, which provides courses, community, and coaching for audiobook narrators at all levels of their careers. And in her spare time, (laughs) she also co-authored the rom-com Heidi's Guide to Four-Letter Words with Tara Civic. So hi, Andy. Thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. Thanks so much. And I just saw yesterday on Valentine's Day that Audible named Heidi's Guide to Four-Letter Words to its uh, 100 Essential Romance Listens. Oh, my goodness. I was very proud of that. Well, that that deserves a round of applause. And I just happen to have one for you right here. I'll take it. I like the, I like the cutoff. Well, it, it can come back anytime. No, no, no. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, and you know, you had started a blog on Substack and you wrote about your origin st- uh, your origin story in 2021. And I loved what you said there because it it actually applies to this whole conversation that we're going to have cuz you were talking with someone who was in theater who was teaching classes and you invited her to teach and I, I didn't write her name down, should have, but you, you wrote in casual conversation, I shared an insecurity I had that I seemed to be doing all these disconnected, fragmented things, teaching, acting, directing plays, blogging about travel with my family, hosting a variety of shifts on our local public radio station. Everyone else seemed to have a life and career that was so easy to describe. Was I doing something wrong? Not at all, she said. Andy, you just have a big life. And you wrote you really liked that because it allowed you to let go of the need to have a story that fits some kind of narrative. And it made you really interested in how all our lives have these disparate elements that make us unique. And that's kind of what I'm trying to get with people on the pit stop because we're all here for more than one thing and we can do more than one thing. So I was really excited to see you 
say that. And so can you talk more about like, what did you do before you were an audiobook narrator and what led you here? Um, well, gosh, um, you, you know, when people say, how did you get started? Um, part of me, and I wonder if you've ever had this thought too, is like, well, what, what would you define as the start? <laughs> because I think there's a germ of what we do now in us from, from the very earliest parts of our lives. And when we look back, we can see the patterns. Oh yeah, um, definitely. Yeah. So what I thought I was going to do, um, when I went to college, what I thought I was going to do was get a degree in interdisciplinary social science. Really? Um, well, I mean, I did get a, a degree in interdisciplinary social science with, um, I was going to get a teaching certificate and I was going to be a high school social studies teacher. Wow. And um, then I, I plotted out which courses I needed to take which semester and how many credits I needed to get over the summer because when you're going to teach, you have to leave a whole semester for student teaching. So everything has to fit into the previous seven semesters. And so I was just like insanely organized about... You know, what do I, but I always put an art class in my semester. I always, and it was usually theater um, because I just needed that, I, my fun time. I needed to like schedule my fun, creative time. And I didn't actually view my, my major as fun. I thought it was interesting and very practical, but I didn't view it as like joyful, <laughs> if that makes sense. Well, and I, I think I remember you, wasn't your dad and risk analysis and so practical would always be something that interested you. Yeah. And I also was very aware of like, I grew up in a family that um, my mom's side of the family gossiped a lot about other people in the family and what they were doing right and wrong and all this. And I never wanted be, to be the subject of family <laughs> gossip. Um, so I was kind of like, I don't want anybody to talk about me or worry about me. I'm just going to do something that's easy to explain. It's practical. So I'll be a high school teacher. That's, uh, you know, a, a good occupation. I can do that. I'll find it interesting. I think I can do a good job. And then nobody will worry about me. And because if I say I want to be an actor though that's just so impractical and I'm just going to run into all this discouragement, you know, everywhere I go. Um, so, you know, but I was kind of like sneaking my theater in around the edges all through college. And then finally I had this crisis of like, I don't think I want to be a teacher and it's too important of a job to go in sort of, you know, by half measures. And so, I decided not to get my teaching certification and my advisor told me I could graduate early because I, you know, planned my schedule out so much and I applied for and got an internship at the Kennedy Center in, in Washington, D.C. Um, in their education department. And I, there I was working in an arts institution surrounded by music and theater and, and dance and, um, you know, all kinds of stuff in a really exciting city right out of college. And that was the first step on the road to identifying as first, like a person in the arts connected to the arts, and then ultimately an artist, um, which was the hardest thing to be able to say. But you weren't, your first exposure to arts and theater wasn't college, was it? I thought I read that you actually had this interest 
to childhood going and going back to what you said at the start of this, that, you know, we kind of have a long journey that starts early. Yeah. Oh yes. Um, I was always, I was the kid who's like uh, made up a dance and made everybody watch it or uh, wanted to read to my friends or you know, my mom was a big old movie buff. And so we would always watch these old movies together. And my dad um, was way into the stereo system and he would, he would lie down on the floor between the speakers and listen to his favorite symphonies or musical soundtracks or Johnny Cash album or spoken word, you know, Kermit Schaefer's bloopers from the radio. Like he had this really wide ranging taste in what he listened to. And I would go, I remember going into the living room and saying, dad, what are you doing? And he would say, I'm listening. It wasn't like stuff was on in the back. College student was calling. <laughs> my my college student was calling. Um, I'll have to. I'll uh, text her. Um, that that always take that call, and not that you need me to tell tell you that. Well, I I will just. It's probably not an emergency, and she will tell me if it is. So I will do like do not disturb for one hour. Um, but anyway, my dad, you know, for him, it was listening, was the activity that he was doing. It wasn't this stuff is on in the background while I'm doing other things. If he put on a record, he was going to listen to everything about that record. And so he taught me, he taught me deep listening. And my mom taught me a love of, of stories. Hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, that's, that's really what I, I trace it back to is, is what each of my parents gave me. Um, in those different ways. So there you are, you're at the Kennedy Center and you're in some sort of a teaching role. And then what happened? Um, I was, I was an intern just like working in service of a grant program. Um, But I loved, I loved the combination of um, education and arts. So we had like school groups coming in to do in school or to do, um, you know, educational performances during the day. And then sometimes we worked where we'd go out to a school and be the arts institution visiting the school. And I just loved that intersection and the, the sort of democratic nature of all the kids could be exposed to something that might change their lives. You know, it might not be something that they had at home. Um, but they could be exposed to it through school. So then, um, I went to George Washington university in DC and created an individualized master's program called performing arts education. And so I had coursework in history and theory of education, how people learn both formally and informally in, in environments like museum exhibits and stuff like that. And then the history and theory of theater, dance, and music. And the idea was that I was going to either be an arts specialist in a school district or be an education coordinator at a major arts institution. And then I fell in love and (laughs) I moved to a college town in Virginia that had neither a large school district with those kind of resources nor a major arts institution. And so I got a job at the local public radio station and it was while I was working there um, that 
I got asked to do something that was recorded to send to somebody for money. And that was the beginning of the whole, the whole voiceover narration journey. That is a pretty neat story. But you see how I was like, my, my life makes no sense. <laughs> I do all these different things. You know, I have two interdisciplinary degrees, um, which is good and bad at the same time. Um, yeah. Well, I, I don't see a downside to that. I mean, I do too. I, I have a bachelor's in journalism and a master in computer information systems. And, and I don't see there being a problem because every, everything you know and everything you learn, you take with you and it forms who you are. And so it does. I, I love knowing this background about you because you, you're still teaching. I am. In a different way, not maybe yeah. the way you thought, but definitely it's still there. Yeah. Yeah. The whole time I was working at the radio station, I mean, I didn't have kids yet. So I had, you know, all this energy and an abundance of time. <laughs> and so the whole time I was working at the radio station, I was um, running the community theater in my town and, you know, directing things and acting in things. And um, the local university had a need for one adjunct uh, slot for basic acting. And they called me and said, would you be willing to teach basic acting? And I thought my first instinct was, well, I couldn't do that. But then I thought, well, wait, they just called me. They, <laughs> they asked me. So far be it from me to say, I can't. Why don't I try it? And if I stink, they won't ask me to do it again. <laughs> and so... Um, so I did, and I, I guess I didn't stink. Um, so they asked me to do it again and take on a second section. And ultimately I had like three sections of basic acting or sometimes um, two or like two or three sections. And I started to have that feeling of like, I need to do better by my students and ground my teaching in a little bit more depth of training. Um, and so I applied to and was accepted to the Shakespeare and Company month-long intensive up in Massachusetts. So in the summer of 2001, I went up to Massachusetts for a month and immersed myself in Shakespeare, in Elizabethan dance, in um, Linklater voice work, and all kinds of awesome stuff, and came back feeling much more confident in my teaching. And all in all, I ended up teaching at um, James Madison University School of Theater and Dance for 12 years and eventually revived the voice course, which was in the course catalog, but nobody ever taught it. So as I got more um, training in Linklater voice, I got confident enough to say, hey, there's this voice class on the books. I could teach it. And I ended up teaching that. It, it became a very in-demand class among the student body and... Um, I've been teaching Linklater and coaching voice for 20 years now. It definitely comes in handy with the narration. So that's, yeah. Is that something you still do? Yeah. Oh, yes, absolutely. There's a voice class at narrator.life um, that I'm going to be like adding to and revising as I go forward. And we just renovated a barn on the property of the new place that we bought. And one of the things I can do out there is teach small group voice classes. Well, that is really exciting. And you've had a number of voice classes. Is Linklater something you've done? 
No, it isn't. Not 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 formally. Bits and pieces here and there, but not formally. No. No, there are many new people. That everything is always fluid and uh, ever changing. And I see that Serena Scholl, there's people in the comments are liking what you're saying, Andy, and Serena Scholl said, your life makes perfect sense. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and you know, the older you get, the more now I'm like, it doesn't matter. (laughs) You know, like I used to think that it mattered. It doesn't matter. Like it's my life. So it fits together because it's all my life. (laughs) That's a good way to look at it because sometimes I feel very pulled from you know different things uh, between like the narration and the site, so it's like trying to serve two masters, and and it sometimes makes me feel schizophrenic. And thinking about it, well, it's just all part of my life. Kind of takes the pressure off. Yes. Well, so you started narrating in 2010, mm-hmm. and then at some point you started lyric audiobooks. Now, what happened to make you want to do that? Um, what happened to make me want to do that was that um, I was getting more offers to narrate. Well, there's two parts to lyric. There's there's the Nashville projects that started it, and then it pivoted into romance. So um, to, to be fairly brief about it, um, I had a friend of a friend who unfortunately just passed away in December Mm, who, yeah, uh, it was such an awful, awful, awful loss. Um, His name was Peter Cooper and he was the music senior music writer for the Nashville Tennessean. Um, And he was also the, he ended up being the, senior editor at the Country Music Hall of Fame in there in Nashville. And he was interested in making some audiobooks of the most influential memoirs and other music-related books that he was aware of out there in Nashville that did not yet have an audio version. And so he and I teamed up on, I think, five um, Nashville-based projects, five or six, um, but my theory at that time was that traveling musicians would want to listen to audiobooks about the music industry and about how, you know, their musical influences came up and their memoirs and stuff. And it turned out that musicians on the road like to listen to David Sedaris and Stephen King and, you know, mm-hmm. Gone Girl. So it it was a point where I was not going to go out to Nashville to... Um, to invest in those titles anymore because it was all kind of self-financed and it was coming to a point where I'd had enough data and it just, it wasn't, that wasn't going to work. The sad thing was Peter's book came out in 2017. He was getting really busy at work and I didn't have the resources to do it, but we were going to do his book as an audio book. And we just always thought there would be time. Mm. to to like do it later um so let that be a lesson you know don't Mm. wait do do it um Mm. because we could have had his voice telling all these amazing stories um and now his one of his best friends is going to do it we're going to do it sort of as a memorial project Mm. um at our and then at our own expense but for a totally different reason 
you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but we're going to be doing that this summer out there. Um, so at the same time that the Nashville experiment was sort of petering out, um, that's a strange choice of words, but um, oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, in any case, the romance thing was really taking off for me and I was getting more offers of romance narration than I could possibly do. But I knew all these other great narrators and it kind of came to a fork in the road where I thought I can either keep saying no or I could say I can't narrate it. However, I could produce it, cast it. You'll be very happy with it. And on we go. And so that, you know, I had another a number of authors take me up on that. And then I brought Marnie Penning, my college roommate, on to be a producer. And then she started her narration career and got really busy. So we brought on another producer and another producer. Um, And just this last fall, I sold Lyric after eight years um, and several Audi Awards and all these, you know, things that we're very proud of, um, to Katie Robinson, who was one of the producers that had been with me for several years. And um, she is going to be taking the company into a whole new, very exciting chapter. The social media feels like euphoric and, you know, it just is like, I'm loving watching her just fly. And that Mm. has been very rewarding. It would be hard, I think, to let go of something like that's Mm. your child. And now you've sent it out in the world with somebody else. Yeah, but she used to own her own um, production company. And the parent company of her production company folded, um, uh, like almost unbeknownst to her. The the way that she found out was she tried to get into her social media and she was locked out Mm. because the parent company had folded, like in the middle of the night. (laughs) So that's worse than somebody leaving you on post-it note. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And so, you know, we worked together all these years and finally it hit a point where I remember we had a meeting and three of us were, um, Gen X and three of us were millennials. And I just thought, you know what? I don't want to overstay my, I don't want to overstay. I would much rather leave on a really high note and watch the company move forward than, than insist that I'm the only person who can do this and kill it. Well, I don't think that would have happened, Mm -hmm. but meanwhile, you had something else calling you anyway. Mm-hmm. which is narrator life. So tell us how that came about because I, did you have signposts along the way? How long did it take you t- to take action and actually create this thing? Um, I created it during the pandemic. Um, you know, I was doing a lot of coaching all along. And again, it was a sense of like, there are multiple coaches who can do great, get great results for narrators at all stages of their career. And the whole in things that I saw was there's a whole lot of introductory coaching that will help you get started and help you get established. But then, and this is sometimes a complaint with APAC as well. It's like, once you're in it, now what? And so we really wanted to focus on working with mid and late career narrators, um, who just, we, we get stuck. We, we get to these plateaus and then we get, we wonder like, how can I, you know, do this very specific thing either as a performer or as a business owner that where I feel like I'm kind of stuck. And so that's, uh, you know, we have online courses that you can do self-study 
And um, I know Karen, you and I are going to be talking about a little something, something after, um, after we're on today. So we put a little teaser in there. Um, but this is we... a maybe of something that might. <laughs> no pressure. Oh, it's happening. It's happening. <laughs> oh. <laughs> it's but yeah, um, we've really we've really discovered that um, micro events, very small classes, you know, twelve people or fewer, um, are super valuable. So the Palm Springs narrator retreat is twelve people max. The open studio uh, live Zoom classes that we do are twelve people. I think we've all had enough of like 400 people in a room <laughs> feeling overwhelmed and leaving going, what just happened? So. Well, and they sell out so quickly. And anybody who is not on your mailing list should get on your mailing list at narrator.life because Andy sends out an email every week and she talks about other things that are important to think about, but also gives you a list of, well, this is opening, this is coming soon. And I mean, before you can blink, those things are gone. So get the mailing list and sign up as soon as you see the notice. And I, I'm excited because I'm doing Matthew Lloyd Davies' 21 Targets in May. Every time yeah. he announced it, it wasn't a good time for me. And when I saw that a couple of weeks ago, I was like, sign me up. Yes. Um, because yeah. that looks like such an interesting approach to have us all narrating the same passage and then we all hear how everybody did the same thing and then get to talk with him about it so it, I really like the unique slant of that class yes I'm, I'm yeah. looking forward to it yeah um, and he's going to be doing a, a clubhouse room with some people who've already taken it and we're going to do replays on that one so that people can kind of hear from people who've gone through it. It's, you know, like a boot camp challenge kind of thing. Um, and decide if it's, you know, for you at this stage in your career um, or, you know, and so Karen, I think you're going to love it because he based it on a video auditioning course that he took that he just thought was mind blowing because mm. you find, you have to own your style and your voice and what you bring to a text. Well, two of our audience members, are Suzanne Barbetta and Leanne Walker, are both telling me the same thing. You're going to love it, Karen. Well, Yay. I know I am, and I'm, I'm ex <laughs> all the more excited seeing those comments. Yeah, the, uh, the registration link is actually at um, the narrator.life events page. Um, it's already live, and the, the course is not until May, but like you said, um, these things fill. So there you go. Kaylee Kirby also says, yeah, you'll love it. <laughs> This is just making me more and more excited. Does it yeah. have to wait till May? Can we not do it in March or April? Yeah, he's going to do ready. it. Why isn't everybody else? I know. He's going to do it twice a year. He's going to offer it twice a year because um, that feels manageable for him because he's realized that um, he needs to keep it small enough that he can be more involved because people are wanting not only one another's feedback, but more of him. Um, he's like the puck of audiobooks. He's just like, you know, super energetic, mischief, fun. And um, yeah, I, I look forward to taking 21 targets one of these days too. Kaylee Kirby, in fact, says she would do it again in a heartbeat. So obviously lots of love and praise for that particular offering. But you have so many others because the open studios are always targeted on a particular topic and... Um, 
have such top tier people leading them that of course people are chomping at the bit to get in them. Mm -hmm. Yep. We had January Lavoie teach one last November about creating diverse characters, um, which is something that, you know, we're all so much more sensitive to. Um, we should have been all along, but for those of us who um, are feeling the, the call to be very um, responsible and authentic in the way that we create characters of different backgrounds, um, she has a really, uh, her, her method is grounded in honesty, integrity, the diversity of our own friendships. I remember the Ahab breakdown that, um, that she and some other narrators did. She was talking about, you know, when you have a, a character of a particular background, think of a friend or someone that you deal with, you know, in life who has the qualities of that character and then think about the qualities of that person's voice. We, what can you make use of? And she said, if you're, if your circle has no diversity in it, maybe fix that, <laughs> you know, like, mm. <laughs> um, which really is the larger, uh, the larger question, I think for authors and for narrators and just for humans living in the world. Mm -hmm. I don't mean to be doing all the talking and if you want to jump in here anytime, please do. I will keep going. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to break your train of thought. Well, and you know, Andy, you are doing narrator.life and I know you've got big plans to even expand it. So how do you split your time? Because you're such a busy narrator too. How do you split your time between these two taskmasters? Um, I group my coaching uh, all onto Wednesdays and it used to be Fridays but um, my husband retired and we have things that we want to, you know, we want to take advantage of three-day weekends here and there. And so I figure Wednesday is the furthest away from any weekend trips that we might take. So that's one thing that I do is just to have a, a theme day on Wednesday so that I don't crowd my coaching with too many other commitments. Um, and you notice that today is Wednesday. So I've already had two coaching students today. Uh -huh. Um, and both of those were just absolutely fantastic, stimulating conversations. And now we're talking about narrator.life here. And, you know, I do have some narration to do this week, but I just, I, I put it in a container. So I did it Monday, Tuesday. I'll go back to it tomorrow and finish Friday. Do you have an assistant or some other help? Or are you just Wonder Woman who is doing it all? Um, I have narrator.life has a webmaster who handles all the back end technical stuff. And I also have a designer on call who's helped me make some visual aids for some of the things that I used to always draw on my iPad. I was like, I always draw the same thing. Let me send it to this guy, explain what I'm trying to say. And he made these beautiful slide presentations yeah, for me smart. that make me look so much smarter. Um, and then I have a bookkeeper slash accountant, and I was just exhorting another narrator this morning to, you know, consider doing the same thing for their business because the more time we spend in our books, bookkeeping, the less time we're spending narrating. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, we used to have somebody who did cleaning on Fridays, 
but now that my husband's retired, he's like, yeah, I'll do it. You know, I'll save, we'll save the money. But yeah, I've, I definitely have help. Um, and I think everybody should, should look at, there's this business podcast I like to listen to. And every, at the end of every episode, she says, and remember just because you can do something does not mean that you should. <laughs> so it's nice. like, yep. Yeah. I think that a lot too. But how did you decide you needed help? I mean, how did you, like, how did you find the graphic artist? Yeah. Um, I was tired of my graphics looking like I drew them on my, my iPad. And so, (laughs) um, I, there's a fantastic site called freeup.net and it's like Upwork or Fiverr or those kind of freelancer sites. But the the thing about uh, freeup that I like and it's not freeup.com, it's .net. I always forget mm. about that. Is that um, freelancers have to be vetted in order to even hang out a shingle on that site. Mm. So I just felt like there was a little bit more protection for me as a business owner that I was going to be putting out a job description of what I was looking for and hearing from people who that's the thing that they do. Right. So I highly recommend that. And the other, the other way to find people um, is, you know, through referrals, like asking people that you trust who they trust, and also looking within your own network that you already have, um, or service providers that you already have. Maybe they offer a service that you didn't know they offered, and that way you're limiting the number of relationships that you have to maintain. Because the older I get, the more kind of like relationship energy is really a precious resource. And, um, I notice when I've, I've got too much relationshiping going on. I, I just need, I need to, I need my only child time. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I guess that's different than introversion or extroversion or is it? Um, I, yeah, I mean, I think we're all on a spectrum of introversion and extroversion, even on any given day. Uh, and you've started to hear people talk about being extroverted introverts, like, you know, ambiverts. It, we, have, we have a store of energy and mm-hmm. it needs to be cared for and replenished um, from time to time. So I think we all need to know, especially as creatives, what is it that fills our well? And for some people, it's time with others. So that would be the extroversion thing. Um, but I think even extroverts need time to themselves. So I kind of reject that whole label thing. Yeah. And there are things that drain energy as well. Yep. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, did, have you guys watched the white Lotus? Yes. Both yes. seasons. So I did, I I just finished season one last night and the character I related to so much is Rachel, the woman on her honeymoon. Every time her husband was fixated on how somebody had done wrong by him and you Mm -hmm. could just see in her face, her just being like, let it go, (laughs) you know? So it's not only done wrong. It's just like minuscule things that a week from now won't matter. Yes. Yes. Oh my goodness. I just, uh, I, I was very sad when she went back to him. I'm sorry. Spoiler, (laughs) spoiler. But, um, I was just like, Oh lady, what are you doing? Run. (laughs) See your life. 
Yeah, well, they were mismatched from the start, so. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I mean, to me, that's a like a draining of the spirits kind of thing, so. Well, I've got what I call the pit stop hot seat, which one of my favorite questions is, if, if you went into the witness protection plan, <laughs> what identity would you like to assume? <laughs> Oh my goodness. Wow. What identity would I assume if I were in the witness protection program? Yeah. Hmm. I think I would, um, I would do something that had to do with, um, this is going to sound completely crazy, but you have to kind of be a hermit, I think, to be in the witness protection program. You obviously can't do something in the entertainment industry because, hello. Um, and so I think I would want to do something that involved being with animals or nature in some way. Hmm. So like um, studying bird populations or monitoring stream quality or... Um, forest management or like something where the job required me to go outside regularly because I miss being outside when I'm recording. <laughs> I took up horseback riding when we moved because we moved right next to a uh, um, stable. Oh. And uh, that, that's been really great. Are you going to get a horse or do you already have a horse? No, I'm no. I, I don't know to both questions. I don't have the disposable income. I actually, um, I don't even know that I'm going to stay with the stable that I was going to because they're mainly about going to shows and that's thousands and thousands of dollars. Um, I met this little old lady in the neighborhood who has two retired horses and she needs help, um, even just brushing them and feeding and watering them. And she'd rather have company because she does it all the time by herself. So I was thinking, hmm, there's a way to combine two things. I could go and, um, you know, hang out with this really interesting 80-something woman and hang out with horses and kind of get my, my nature and my people fix in at the same time. So, yeah. That sounds idyllic. Mm-hmm. But would you want to do that in the middle of a Michigan winter when it's what 20 degrees below zero or something and it doesn't get that cold here my husband calls it the banana belt of the upper midwest <laughs> <laughs> i grew well, up I in minnesota I, yeah i always thought that area was just you know below zero all the time no no i grew up in minnesota um and i'll watch the weather and they get stuff that goes north and east it never hits us it like goes across Wisconsin and up into Canada. And we, meanwhile, we're just like, nah, didn't come here. So not that we didn't get any snow, but it's pretty and it feels good to be outside. Well, I know you posted a picture of you sitting, I guess, on the side of Lake Michigan and it, you know, it was a beach and it was a beautiful day. And I thought they have that in Michigan. <laughs> oh, the, the beaches of Western Michigan remind my husband of the Jersey shore where he grew up. Oh, 
Well, that's that's pretty nice. I mean, in, in landlocked Atlanta, I have to go five or six hours to see a beach, and I think you said it's just thirty minutes from my house. It is. Like, it I'm is. so jealous. <laughs> well, that's why we fixed up the barn, um, and so I can offer you know classes and gatherings in the summer. And my plan is um, to have sort of a grand opening ribbon cutting picnic thing this summer. Um, I've got the Saturday before the lobster bake um, marked off. So watch for that in the narrator.life weekly newsletter. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah, you wouldn't want to do it in competition with the lobster bake. That probably wouldn't be a good look. <laughs> Never. No, but I thought, hey, if people are coming from the West Coast, they can just make a stop in Michigan. You know, we'll do something here. It'd probably be more of a pig roast. And then <laughs> continue on to Maine and go to the lobster bake and just have a midsummer little social break. I like how you think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, you'll have to come up, Karen. How far are you? You're 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 not far from Brilliance, are you? Or do you? Because I've been wondering how have you been recording lately? With your, are you? Do you have a recording set up in your house, and you're just finishing out the new studio? I just moved my stuff into the new studio last night, and so <gasps> yeah, it's, it's all done. It's beautiful. It's warm and toasty. Um, I'm so, so, so excited about it. I can't believe it's done. And I did record at Brilliance, and I'm going to be recording at Brilliance again in March. Um, I was actually the first person to record there post-lockdown. Oh. So they're back up. They're, they're back in business, but they're not. I don't know that they will ever be where they were, where they used to fly people in and put them up in a hotel and have them come into the studio. Um, you just have to stay with me. Anne used to be on that flight all the I time. Used to miss well, come stay with me, Anne. I'd love to. I'd love to. Oh, gosh. How far are you from Brilliance? 25 Andy? minutes. Good grief. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Well, that is something. Yeah. So we're half we're right halfway between Grand Rapids and Lake Michigan. So we've got mm. half hour into the city with museums and great restaurants and um, cultural activities and ice skating, you know, Rockefeller Center style ice skating right downtown with the Christmas lights and everything. And then we've got beautiful beaches and mm. um, what is it? There's a luge run. <laughs> oh. It doesn't sound like you've done it yet. <laughs> uh, no. In theory. Because, yeah. you know, we need pictures and video of that when you decide to go. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I'll have to get the GoPro that I don't own yet. <laughs> but that, that would be reason to get it. And you could make it a business expense because, you know, you've got to show all your colleagues what this is like. True. And I think you should come out and go with me. I'll be cheering you on right behind you 100% of the I'm way. Calling you on it, Cummins. <laughs> no, that would not be the ride I would want to be on. Oh, and, and, you, and you wouldn't definitely want me behind you because you would probably lose hearing because I'd be screaming so loud. <laughs> you know, I used to scream when I when I would see Barry Barry Manilow in concert because he's pretty much the only concert I go to these days. But of course now I can't scream because it would affect my voice. But something like that, you can't help it. You just ah. 
<laughs> the whole time. <laughs> okay, Aaron. <laughs> well, and I, I know we're coming up close to the uh, top of the hour, and I want to be sure anybody in the audience, if you want to raise your hand and come up to the mic and have a chat, we'd love to hear from you. And in the meantime, Andy, so I have another question from on the hot seat. What is your most trivial, useless, or flat-out counterproductive superpower? My count, my most counterproductive superpower? Yeah. Um, well, it can be trivial or useless. It can be any of those three things. Oh, trivial or useless. Yeah, or flat-out counterproductive. Or flat-out counterproductive. I mean, the, my counterproductive tendency is to, um, is to be helpful. <laughs> so... <laughs> I understand that. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's counterproductive because you, you spend time helping other people instead of progressing your own agenda. I definitely yeah. understand that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I love, you know, I love, like, I keep track of a lot of information and I tend, I, it's just, I have to sit on my hands and duct tape my mouth shut sometimes because I'll be like, Ooh, I know who should talk. I know who that person should talk to. It's like, nope, nope. I, that's not on my, that can't do that today. I cannot do that today. I, I, I feel like you're my sister from a different mister on this because <laughs> I, I call that the girl in fifth grade syndrome because it's like, I know, yeah. I know. I know, I know. Yeah, um, as far as like um, trivial skills that I have, um, oh goodness, trivial skills that I have. I'll, I'll think of something, but I can't think of I, I don't have a lot of, I, I don't do crafts. I don't do, um, yeah. While you're thinking, I, Andy, uh, Susan Barbetta, Suzanne Barbetta has her hand raised. So Yes, yeah. I have to say. Hi, Suzanne. Oh, Hi, ladies. Hey. Hi. Hi. How are you? Good. How are you today? Good. Um, I have a quick question referring back to something I think we talked about at the end of last year. You were planning on maybe doing some like little, I don't know, recorded mini courses or something on the Airtable Oh, yes. Um, template. It's, on, it's on my list. <laughs> <laughs> and then that actually brought up to me, is there any... Is there any, are there any other classes that you're kind of planning to put in that kind of format? Oh, yes. Um, yes, 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 yes. And multiple members of Narrator.Live faculty have their course topic chosen. And um, I have resources in place to like help them actually one by one by one kind of check off the process of creating a course. So um, there's one that I'm going to be talking with somebody about this afternoon. Um, the Airtable course is now that the barn is finished, I will be able to do course recording out there because being in the house, believe it or not, I'm really shy. And so the reason that I'm being so expansive this afternoon is I have the house to myself right now. <laughs> so. Mm -hmm. Um, I am shy about teaching things when other people are in the house and I don't know why that is. 
but that's just like a weird thing. So now that I have my barn, I can go out there and just, you know, let Gee. fly. Great. I have, um, uh, I wanted to ask if a particular teacher might do a particular course, okay. but I don't know if that would be letting out of the bag. So maybe I could like DM you about it or something. Uh, I don't mind if you say like, just phrase it in the form of like, I would love if so-and-so would teach thus and such. Okay. I would love if Vikas would teach um, this um, class on archetypes. I think he taught or was teaching at one point at university. Mm -hmm. And I know another narrator that took, I think, a short workshop um, around that idea with him and loved it. And I haven't seen any kind of offering like that anywhere else. So I would love that. Okay. I will put a bug in his ear about that because, um, you know, sometimes the thing that somebody should, should offer, mm. it's almost like, well, doesn't, hasn't everybody heard me talk about that already? You know? Yeah. Yeah. And I don't, I, I, so I think he'd be really intrigued to know that, uh, that there's still interest in that as like something that's new to people, because I know he did an APAC session on it, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, at one time that I took that was really helpful. Mm -hmm. Um, and there's no reason why, you know, that couldn't be an evergreen course. So I mm -hmm. think that's a great idea. I will bring that up with him. Yeah, I would like to see it. I missed that APAC session. So, and, you know, of course they don't record anything, so it's not like you can go back and look at anything. Exactly. Yep. So I think there would be a lot of interest for that. So thanks, Suzanne. I'm, I'm in line for that one too. Audience members, your chance to ask Andy your progressing questions is about to run out. So <laughs> not that I'm threatening you or anything. But... <laughs> yeah, what's going to happen to me? My gosh. Well, while people are formulating their question, um, I will just mention that every once in a while people will ask if I coach and, and like what, how that goes, how... Mm how to work with me as a coach. So I'm glad you brought that up. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. <laughs> so um, the way to get on my schedule is to go to narrator.life. Thanks for the pinned link and um, find my, my faculty page. And that's got a link to my coaching schedule. So every Wednesday I have three slots available. One very early in the morning, one around lunchtime, and this is Eastern and one in the evening and that should theoretically make it possible for people in any time zone on the planet <laughs> to, um, to book with me because I know I've worked with people in Australia and people in the EU. So that's when I'm available and that's how to book me. I use a, an app called Calendly and it's great because it looks for the next available spot. It books you in that spot. It asks you a couple questions about what are the things that you want to talk about, either performance things or business things. And it collects payment right there. It puts it automatically on my calendar. So it eliminates the back and forth of, hey, I'd like to coach with you. Okay, when? Okay, well, look at, you know, it's, it just, it eliminates all of that, that stuff and just puts it on my calendar. 
how do you set up the Calendly thing, Andy? Is it just Google it and find out? Is it self-explanatory? Oh, um, how do you, like, if you how were going to, for your coaching? That, yeah, for any, anybody that wanted to set up some Calendly situation. Yeah, um, go to Calendly.com. And mm-hmm. I think that they have, like, a, a trial a membership or a trial usage of it that's either, like, a lower cost for the first few months or first month's free or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it's very intuitive. If I'm using it, it's got to be user friendly because I'm not super tech savvy. And oh. you just you just set it up to you know here's when I'm available, here's how long the average appointment or the the appointment should be, mm-hmm. and you know, then the next thing you know, you're booking sessions. It's great. Yes, you've been doing that a long time, and it it really is very very clever. Yeah, I learned it from Celia Siegel um, because mm-hmm. when you ask for her time, she just says, here, here's my schedule. Put yourself on it. Wow. Yeah. Marcus Zarko added in the chat that he has the free one that allows for a 30-minute session. So that's interesting. I did Because I've seen them too, but I, like Anne, I haven't investigated how to set it up or how much it costs. Yeah, and one way that narrators um, can put that to really good use is to set up 15-minute free consultations. And if an author asks to meet with you about a potential project and they want to know, you know, how to do that, you can send them your calendar link. And then that way you can you can make sure that people only ask for your time when it's available. So you can protect your recording time by not making it show up on the calendar. Oh, that's golden. Yeah. That's a great Mm -hmm. idea. Mm -hmm. And I have mine um, for coaching set to allow two instances per day. Mm -hmm. So I'll either have, you know, the morning and the evening one fill or the morning and midday or midday and evening. But I won't have a day where I have like morning, noon and night (laughs) sessions. But yeah, Marcus, I'm glad that you're enjoying that. I just think it's a great, um, it's a great piece of software. And I love that it just automatically puts it on your, on the calendar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it does a lot of things. Well, and you're, Andy, you're always in with all the latest tools and toys and it, there's so many things coming every day that it really helps to have somebody who's already used it and has practical advice. I mean, that was golden about even scheduling authors with it. That's not something I thought to do. So we, we appreciate it. I, I bumped Hillary up here because she raised her hand. Hi, Hills. Hi. Hi, Hi guys. Hi. Hi. Um, hi. I, well, so I had a question about that. Sorry. I just came in in the middle of you explaining that calendar, Andy. Mm-hmm. Um, and by the way, I might have to hop because I'm waiting for somebody to come to my house. So if I ditch right after my question, that's why. Um, my question is, when you do that and they can just sign up for a slot, how does that give you control over whether you want to narrate that book or not? Um, all you're doing is having a discussion. Oh, Oh, this is not for, for booking. See, this is what happens when you come in late and ask a dumb question. This isn't for saving time in the calendar. It's for just a time to discuss the book. Exactly. 
Okay, sorry. My bad. Okay, shut up. It's a great question. No, but you can use Airtable that way. You can set up a form in Airtable um, that like you'd make a separate and I this I'll, Suzanne, I'll add this to the course. You can make a separate table that's like audiobook requests and make that form available to people and they can fill out the form with more information about the book and maybe even a sample chapter. And then you get a ping like, hey, somebody asked for your time and you have, it, it's not all that different from an email, but what I like about Airtable is it captures that data mm -hmm. um, so that you can even see, oh, this person keeps asking for me. Maybe I should, you know, either block them or, sure, see ya. Or, um, or, you know, take their, take their interest more seriously because they keep knocking on the door. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Oh, that's really good. And I know Karen is a big fan of um, Evernote and yeah. uses Evernote. And I was just about to ask you, have you ditched Evernote totally in favor of Airtable or do they both have room in your life? Um, I am migrating critical information over to Airtable. Um, I'm more using Evernote for some household um, data storage where I need that extra layer of security, like a household file cabinet for digital stuff oh, related right. to, mm -hmm. yeah, things, so. But yeah, for business, it's all about Airtable. Well, an Airtable gives more of a spreadsheet look and it kind of depends on, you know, if you're really drawn to that versus a document look. Cause I mean, I have all this in Evernote and it works for me. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, you know, and, and, but there's a lot to Airtable that I, I like how it looks and, and the integration between things is definitely smoother and there's more layers to it, I think. But I mean, I've, I've got so many link notes in Evernote that I'm, I'm accomplishing the same thing. Yes. And you've got a lot more boilerplate where you've got big blocks of text that answer specific questions. That's true. And it's, but I, I love using Evernote also for project incubation because I'll put ideas or like if I answered something on Facebook, every time I answer something on Facebook, I copy what I said to Evernote because it can come up for me again. Like I may make an article from it or I may repurpose it in some other way. So mm -hmm. it's really functioning for all that, whatever kind of information that I'm trying to save. And that gets back to the being helpful thing. You are capturing your helpful information so that you, it, it has ongoing value. Mm -hmm. And that was one of the reasons why um, I stopped posting as much on Facebook as I got busier. I thought, my goodness, I, I take all this time to answer a question. And then two weeks from now, that's been bumped down and down and down and down and down. Mm -hmm. And you know people don't use the search thing as often yes, as they should. I know. <laughs> and I just started to feel like, what am I, I'm kind of pouring stuff down a well. Mm -hmm. And really, I need to think about how to how I have leverage with, you know, this, this information. So doing a uh, doing narrators roadmap and having that incredible repository um, is one way. And offering coaching is another way. Um, but they both address the the need to value the help that we give.
And I think that's, you know, and I'm not saying that, like, I'm not saying that what I have to say is, is like so much more valuable than what somebody else has to say. But I think we all need to remember that our time has value. Um, and there's, there's our inner circle of people that we will always help, you know, just pick up the phone, call me, you know, we've, we've got those, those great kind of VIP, um, inner circle folks that are our close network. But, um, when it starts to be an issue of needing to value our time, Mm -hmm. then, you know, I think, I think it's okay to do that. Um, there's just been a lot of discussion this week and in my coaching sessions today too, about, um, about the value of our time and our expertise. Yes. And that sounds like a whole other conversation mm-hmm. we could have on another day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but Happy it, to. We, we are at the hour mark and I want to be respectful of your time. So I'm just going to, uh, I don't see anybody with their hands raised. So we'll just uh, get the show back on the road at this point. So we're going to conclude today's pit stop and the recording will be available on Clubhouse later today. And I will post it with a transcript and any relevant links on narratorsroadmap.com. And I hope everybody in the audience will take another road trip with us in two weeks on March 1st. Gosh, it's going to be March 1st already. When we'll be speaking with Rich Miller, who is a narrator, and he's the host of the popular audiobook Speakeasy podcast. And coming up even before that is Anne's Narrator Uplift show on Thursday, February 23rd where her guest will be Amy Rubinate, who's a narrator and owner of Mosaic Audio Recording Studio. And Andy, I guess you're still doing your Friday takeaways at 3 p.m. in the narrator.life club. I am. on this week, right? Yeah, and you can RSVP for it now because I created the event just before we went live in this room. Well, how handy. (laughs) Oh, and can I also, while we're here, can I also promote, you know, Clubhouse now has these things called houses. Oh, yeah. And they are unmoderated open spaces, um, but they're a little bit more vetted in terms of who's in them. And so anyone who is a narrator who has at least one title on Audible is welcome to the narrator green room house. Um, And anytime you want to, you can go there, unmute yourself, and it's unmoderated um, narrator water cooler chat. It's Mm. pretty cool. Mm -hmm. And I I appreciate you setting that up for everybody. Yeah, I I think it's a a fun space to go after a room has concluded, um, hint, hint, (laughs) to just (laughs) continue the conversation. Um, but yeah, I like how you think, (laughs) (laughs) but yeah, it's neat to see people, uh, interact and meet one another in there and, uh, expand their network. So, and on that happy note, I hope everybody finds joy in every journey and lives the life of your dreams. I want to thank again, our fabulous guest, Andy Arndt for this wonderful, interesting conversation to my dear friend Anne Flosnick for your support and encouragement, and to everyone for spending time with us today. So thanks for joining the Pit Stop, and we look forward to seeing you again soon.